Hello, and welcome to the 538 Politics Podcast. I'm Galen Druk. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court allowed a Texas law to go into effect that bans the overwhelming majority of abortions in the state. It's now the most restrictive abortion law in the country. In a 5-4 opinion, the court's conservative majority declined to halt the law while challenges make their way through Texas courts. Chief Justice John Roberts, a conservative, joined the liberals in dissenting. The ban prevents women from getting an abortion beyond around the sixth week of pregnancy, which is when 85 to 90 percent of abortions happen, according to many abortion providers in the state. The legal precedent set out in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey prevents states from banning abortion before around 24 weeks of pregnancy. But the conservatives on the court said they didn't have the authority to intervene in this case, a notion that is disputed because of the unique way the Texas law is enforced. It would be enforced by individual Texans as opposed to the state government, and more on that in a minute. The conservative majority did stress that their decision was not an indication of whether the law itself was constitutional. So this legal fight is not over, but nonetheless, the law is now in effect in Texas, meaning that for the time being, approximately 85 to 90% of abortions in the state are banned. Today, we're gonna look at the legal debates that are playing out, the politics in Texas that produced this law, and the current debate over abortion more broadly. And here with me to do that, our politics editor, Sarah Frostenson. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Galen. Also here with us is politics reporter, Alex Samuels. Hey, Alex. Hi, Galen. And senior writer and legal reporter, Amelia Thompson-DeVoe. Welcome, Amelia. Thanks, Galen. And listeners may have noticed that we haven't heard from you in a little while. You were out on maternity leave and you are now back, so it's it's good to have you. It's a fun week to be back. Thanks. I'm, I'm excited and there's a lot happening. So let's talk about it. Yes. Let's talk about the immediate legal question that the Supreme Court decided on Wednesday. So abortion providers in Texas had filed an emergency motion asking the Supreme Court to stop this new abortion law from going into effect while arguments played out in lower courts. What did the Supreme Court in this case have to consider, Amelia? So what basically happened is that Texas passed a law that is really unusual in how it's enforced. As you mentioned in your intro, Galen, it's not state officials who would be enforcing the abortion ban. It would be everyday citizens suing both providers who actually provide abortions and then anyone who, quote unquote, aids and abets in the process. And this is different from the way the federal courts would normally be considering something like this, because what usually happens with abortion bans that run into the standard that's established in Roe v. Wade is the abortion providers sue state officials who, in every case, are in charge, every case until now, are in charge of enforcing those laws. And a lower court will say, okay, it looks like this law is probably in violation of the standards that the Supreme Court has set out in Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And so we are going to put a pause on this law until it's gotten a chance to work its way through the courts. And the thought behind that is basically that once a law like this goes into effect, it's hard to put the toothpaste back into the tube. I mean, literally for some women, they will not be able to get an abortion. And it's not like you can say, okay, I'll wait and get this abortion in a year and a half when this has made its way through the federal courts. This has real and immediate implications. And if there is a constitutional right to abortion, then 
if a law like this goes into effect, then women's constitutional rights are being violated and the federal courts want to prevent that. So on the one hand, that is something that the justices were faced with. What happens if this Texas law goes into effect and Roe is still good law and women's constitutional rights are being violated? On the other hand, they're faced with the real unprecedented nature of this law, which is that until the law is actually violated and someone sues, it's really hard to know how to respond to it legally. And even at that point, it's kind of murky what the implications would be. Like, can the Supreme Court individually stop any number of lawsuits that would come out of this? Is that the role of the courts? So abortion providers had tried to get around this by saying to the federal courts, okay, there are state officials who will be involved in this who can stop this process from going forward. And those are judges, state judges. So abortion providers had said, stop them. Tell them not to enforce this law while it plays out in the lower courts. And the Supreme Court basically said, this is a pretty crazy situation. We haven't encountered it before. We are not saying that this Texas law is constitutional, but the abortion providers have not given us enough of a reason to take the unprecedented step of saying, Texas judges do not enforce this. So the law went into effect over the objections of the three liberals and Chief Justice John Roberts. Yeah, and I think what's really hard here and what Amelia was getting at is it almost feels like splitting hairs in the sense of there are real consequences to this law not being stayed, right? It is going into effect. The majority of abortions in Texas now will not be able to happen under this law. But given some of the procedural questions around this, that the court decided that, you know what, no, we don't want to weigh in on this. But they did make it clear that they are not ruling on the constitutionality of this law. But it does kind of leave us in this weird legal limbo of as this case continues to make its way through the court, abortions in Texas are not happening past the six-week mark now. Right. And I think that's the tension. And that's what we saw from the three liberal justices and from Chief Justice John Roberts. Or actually, Chief Justice John Roberts didn't bring this up in his dissent, but the three liberals said basically, look, you have to make a decision. What is more important? This procedural mush that we're finding ourselves in and like potentially making a decision in that kind of procedural no man's land we're in here that might be wrong, might be questionable versus allowing a law to go into effect where if there is a constitutional right to abortion, then women's constitutional rights are being violated. Like if Roe and Casey are still good law, then women's constitutional rights are being violated in Texas right now. And it's sort of weighing that. And the conservative justices came out on the side of the procedural issues. And obviously the other three justices came out on the other side. I think that's the overarching background question here, which is how close is the Supreme Court to overruling Roe v. Wade? Is this a step in that direction? Or because this is mainly a procedural question, this is really outside of that argument? I think that's a tricky question, Galen, because the court was not asked to weigh in on whether this law was constitutional. They were asked to weigh in on whether it may be challenged in federal court, given the way it's currently structured. And right now, that is 
whole women's health, arguing that the law as it stands should be thrown out. That is, there's not an actual case where a woman has tried to seek an abortion past the six-week mark, and either someone who helped get her that abortion or the abortion provider itself is being sued by a citizen. And so on that theoretical question, the court ruled, well, we're not going to issue a stay in this. But I think what's tricky here is it's easy to read into this as, you know, someone like Roberts, who has a background of ruling on the consequences of a law versus being very strict in terms of how he interprets legal theory, ruled on the consequences of this. The conservative majority on the court could have as well, but they did not. And so both things can be true in that this is a procedural issue that is unprecedented for them, but at the same time, maybe they're okay with the consequences of this. It's hard to then take that and expand that onto Mississippi, and I would encourage listeners not to do that. But it, we are in a moment where this has been one of the biggest restrictions against Roe v. Wade, and it is now on the books and law in Texas. And to be clear for listeners, the Mississippi case that you mentioned is an abortion ban beyond a 15-week mark, which the Supreme Court is going to be hearing this coming term. You kind of suggested a little bit of where this current Texas law may be headed in terms of how it's challenged and that there is likely to actually be a case involved in someone getting sued for providing an abortion or, as the law is written, aiding or abetting an abortion. And then that will make its way through the courts. And that's ultimately when the constitutionality of the law may come into play. Has this happened yet? Has there been a case of someone violating the law and an individual Texan suing? So Texas Right to Life is probably one of the biggest pro-life groups on the ground here in Texas. And they set up a whistleblower website to enforce SB8. But a spokesperson for the group also told NPR recently that there were no lawsuits against abortion providers that were imminent. Abortion providers so far also have said that they plan to comply with the law as long as it's in effect. So then what happens now, right? Like, it seems as though this procedural question has stopped there from being a stay, but the constitutionality of this is not going to get sorted out until there is a real case involved, someone violating the law. So where do we go from here? Well, so there are cases playing out in Texas state courts. So that's one avenue to watch. And I think the way this is structured, I would be surprised if we don't see some kind of movement on it. Meaning some kind of lawsuit. Some kind of lawsuit, yeah, because women are going to abortion clinics in Texas right now and being told they're too far along in their pregnancy to get an abortion. And some of those women are going to leave the state. People are going to help them leave the state. Presumably, there will be some kind of lawsuit against those who are helping them leave the state. So... I think there will be legal action on this that allows there to be a challenge. I guess, though, to respond a little bit to what Sarah was saying earlier, it is really important to not read too much into what will be happening this term when the Supreme Court considers the direct challenge to Roe in the case involving Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban with this case, just because the procedural question is so weird. On the other hand, Chief Justice John Roberts was comfortable saying that he would basically preserve the status quo and let the federal courts kind of begin to sort out some of these questions before the Supreme Court jumped in. And I would say that the five other conservatives' comfort with 
letting this law go into effect, which Texas Republicans have been super, super clear is designed to be a challenge to Roe. I mean, the political calculus on this is completely unavoidable. It's unambiguous. Pro-life advocates see this as a challenge to Roe. And they see this as a way to kind of get around this problem they've always had, which is that they can get these laws through the legislature, and then they immediately get stayed in the federal courts. So the fact that the political context is just, it's just so crystal clear what's going on here. And the justices are smart people. They're savvy people. You can disagree about whether they're political actors and how much they think about politics in what they're doing. But it's not like they're unaware of what's happening on the ground in Texas. It's not like they're unaware of the politics of this. And it's not like they're unaware of what the consequences are going to be, nor how long it takes for a legal challenge to this to go through the courts. I mean, we're realistically talking about this coming back to the Supreme Court in a year or two. So while Sarah is absolutely right that they were not asked to consider the constitutionality of Roe, they went out of their way in their order to say that they weren't sure about it, they are at the very least comfortable with a status quo where Roe is is there's a giant hole through the constitutional right to abortion in Texas for an indefinite period of time, and they're okay with that. And that's meaningful. Alex, being on the ground in Texas, what were the politics of this law? Where did it come from? Was it controversial when it was being considered in the state? Yeah, so it was definitely controversial when it was being considered in the state. And some political scientists here in Texas will say that this legislative session, along with the special sessions that followed, were some of the most conservative in recent memory. And I think there's a couple different reasons for that. For one, in going back all the way to 2018, we had a year where Democrats made very big gains in the state of Texas, not just at the legislative level, but also at the congressional level. And that was the year when Beto O'Rourke came within striking distance of ousting Ted Cruz. And in the legislative session that followed in 2019, Republicans, you know, holding on to this like bare majority in the House really focused on like bread and butter issues. So like property taxes, school finance, the budget, those things all took a front row seat. Then in 2020, Democrats thought they could replicate their gains in 2018. They obviously fell very short. And so in this past legislative session, Republicans, instead of doing the bread and butter issues that they had focused on previously, turn more to like some of these culture war issues. So, of course, we have a very restrictive voting bill, bills banning critical race theory being taught in classrooms, and this abortion bill as well. This kind of falls under this bigger umbrella of some of the culture wars that have just been playing out in Texas for the past year and some change. One thing I'll add is that I don't think Republicans are necessarily afraid of a Democratic backlash in the state of Texas. So Republican office holders worried about their futures aren't looking for trouble from the left. They're watching the conservative voters on their right and on their right flank. So if you look at Abbott so far, he does not have a Democratic challenger who is challenging him in 2022. Instead, he has two Republicans who are to his right who are seeking to get him out of office. And because Abbott is relatively popular with Republicans in the state, I think his hope is that Texas's lawmaking so far in 2021 will mollify the conservatives in a state, even though it angers some Democrats. 
So essentially, in the post-2018 Texas environment, Republicans had been made a little bit worried about challenges from Democrats. Now the shoe is on the other foot. Republicans having done particularly well in Texas in 2020, they're more concerned about conservative activists primarying them or, or so on and so forth. Right. I'll just throw in there that I think this has also coincided with something we've seen in the pro-life movement, which is a real emboldening of pro-life activists who are seeing an opportunity with the conservative majority, the strong conservative majority on the Supreme Court. And there's been this tendency in the pro-life movement toward incrementalism, just because there was a sense that the Supreme Court is not going to want to overturn decades of precedent on abortion overnight. They're not going to want to say, yes, Texas can have a six-week abortion ban right now. They're going to be more open to challenges that kind of chip away at the edges of Roe. And that was in particular what a lot of people thought John Roberts, who was the pivotal vote on the Supreme Court for for a couple of years, a little bit of a blip. Seemed like a long time while it was happening, but what he would have preferred. Now the situation is different. And I think that that has made laws like these near total bans on abortion a lot more appealing to activists. And there's also like a real grassroots populist appeal to something like this citizen-driven lawsuit-based approach, this idea of ordinary citizens, not politicians, not elites, being responsible for taking control of what people in the pro-life movement really see as this huge moral issue. And so I think that's one of the reasons also that legislation like this has become more appealing. Certainly there are still some in the pro-life movement who want a more incrementalist strategy, and there's been more tension between those two sides of the movement since it seemed clear that, like, hey, overturning Roe might actually be something that's possible. But It has to be something driving what's happening on the political side, too, that the folks who really want fast action, they don't just want a 15-week abortion ban, they want a six-week abortion ban, they want fetal personhood. You know, those people really feel like, hey, we're in a place in this country where we might be able to get that, so let's do it. Yeah, and on that note, the Guttmacher Institute, which advocates for abortion rights, has been tracking the number of laws, whether it's Texas, Mississippi, that have cropped up in the past year. And since 1973, so when Roe was first enacted, 2021 here has seen the most abortion restrictions, 90, and this was as of July 1st, already enacted here in 2021. So Alex was setting the landscape for what it's looked like in Texas, not only on abortion, but a number of conservative issues. And I think what Amelia hit on about this being a populist movement, particularly in how this Texas law was framed about citizens regulating citizens and pushing the boundaries of the types of arguments we're seeing in front of the court seems to not only be a trend that other states, to be clear, have not pushed forward what Texas has, but I'm curious, will other states try? I realize not every legislature is currently in session, but I wouldn't be surprised if, depending on how things develop here in Texas, if more states don't follow suit. And then the second thing is, why limit it to abortion? Depending on how the court's rule on this current law, you could see a lot of different controversial issues trying to follow it for its playbook. So essentially you're saying for hot button social issues, instead of having a state court system enforce those laws, you have individuals enforce those laws. So on anything ranging from religious liberty to transgender issues or gay issues or whatever it may be, immigration, have individuals be the people who sue in like a civil court 
and keep the state criminal courts out of it. If it turns out that this is a path that seems like it would be successful, and frankly, the Supreme Court's order, even though it was very short and not that detailed, it may be enough for some states to feel like they can go ahead with it when their legislatures are back in session. I would say also, you know, if red states embrace this kind of strategy, blue states are going to do the same thing too. And they might try to force a confrontation with the Supreme Court. So frankly, I will be honest, I was not expecting this particular legal battle to unfold this way. I was pretty sure that John Roberts was going to be able to pick off at least one of the other conservatives to stay this law while everything kind of played out below. And this is one of the reasons because it just opens up a huge can of worms. This is not just your traditional garden variety abortion ban. It's kind of a legal swamp that is now something that federal judges seem like they could get dragged into and it's not clear what they would do or I don't know. It's just we're in a really weird place and I'm a little bit surprised that the five conservatives went for it, to be honest. And Texas Right to Life has already said that they're working with activists in, I think the quote was multiple states, but of course they didn't give a specific number. But places are very eager to replicate the kind of law that Texas now has in place, especially if this law is successful in blocking access to most abortions in the state of Texas. Which it already has been. So we'll be watching not whether just this is a blueprint for abortion laws in other states around the country, but whether this structure of providing a civil avenue for any individual to sue another person in their state for violating a certain law becomes the structure that's used for an assortment of different topics, different rights, restrictions, laws, etc. I want to talk about public opinion on this issue, but first... Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. As we all know on this podcast, abortion has been a hot-button issue in America for decades. And therefore, it's one of the most heavily and longest-polled issues debated in politics. We have a lot of data here. So... What do we know about where public opinion in America stands today on abortion? We looked at public opinion on abortion back in May, and this is back when the Supreme Court announced that it was taking up the Mississippi law. And essentially what we found at the time was that most Americans don't want to appeal Roe. But that said, many Americans are comfortable with some restrictions on abortion earlier than currently allowed under Roe. So on the question of whether the court should uphold Roe, the polling is pretty clear. Americans want to keep it in place. And a number of polls that were conducted last fall underscored that. And I I won't go over all of them, but just one or two. So in a Quinnipiac University survey, 66% of likely voters agreed with the Roe decision. 
Meanwhile, there was a separate poll from ABC News and the Washington Post that found 62% of registered voters wanted the Supreme Court to uphold Roe. I think what makes part of this complicated is that, yes, of course, there are partisan divides on abortion, but this issue isn't 100% about politics. So Gallup has been looking at public polling on abortion since 2018. And what they found is that most Americans oppose abortions during the second and third trimesters of pregnancy, though I should definitely note that abortions during the third trimester are exceedingly rare. But Gallup found that 81% of respondents said abortion should be illegal in the last three months of pregnancy, and 65% said it should be illegal in the second trimester. And I think that last point really underscores part of the issue here is under Roe, abortion is legal in the second trimester. And other polls have just captured that Americans are really bad at understanding when abortions happen in a pregnancy. But as Alex was saying, when you push them on, well, should Roe be repealed? Most Americans don't want that. They want the status quo. And the status quo is abortion should be legal, but with restrictions. And I think the question here in Texas is abortion would still be legal, but with a really severe restriction that does challenge Roe. And how are Americans going to think about that? Is this a restriction that goes too far? You see in each of the three trimesters increasing support towards the end of a pregnancy in terms of no abortions being allowed. But this is relatively early. It's in the first trimester. Will Americans recognize that and see this more as a challenge to Roe versus just another abortion restriction? Yeah, I mean, the difference is pretty dramatic here. That same Gallup poll 60% of Americans support abortion in the first trimester, which is when, of course, this Texas law is in effect. That is one thing that makes how Americans will respond to this a little bit of an open question. Because one thing I will say as someone who's been reporting on this issue for close to a decade, while all of these restrictions have been passed, I mean, abortion restrictions have been escalating, as Sarah mentioned, since 2010, 2011. So while what we're seeing now is very dramatic, it is the continuation of a very long and concerted trend in red states to restrict abortion access. So even if Roe is still technically on the books, still good law, there are big parts of the country now where it's much harder to get an abortion because of these restrictions than it was 10 years ago. And the difference, I think, here potentially is that when you ban abortion at six weeks, you really are making it functionally impossible to get an abortion. And I can speak from personal experience as someone who was recently pregnant. Being six weeks pregnant actually means that you are four weeks pregnant because of the way that weeks are counted in pregnancy. You can't actually tell when you got pregnant. So doctors count from the last day of your last menstrual period. So there's a two-week period that's counted in those six weeks when you're not actually pregnant. And I found out I was pregnant with the baby that I just had around four weeks. I was trying to get pregnant when I took that test. I didn't actually think I was pregnant. I had some symptoms, but it sort of felt like it might not be. And I thought, okay, I'll just take the test. And then when I took the test, I then argued with my husband about whether there were two lines on the test because I didn't actually think I was pregnant. And I'm someone who knows a lot about these issues. And I'm also someone who was really trying to get pregnant. So I was very tuned into all of this. If those things hadn't been the case, would I have taken a pregnancy test before six weeks Maybe, maybe not. And on top of that, 
people do have abortions for genetic abnormalities, and those abortions cannot happen that early. Genetic screening doesn't start until later in the first trimester. The earliest that it can usually start is around 10 weeks, and then you do more testing, and it takes time for the test to come back. And so the point that I'm trying to make here is that this law is affecting a lot more women than it did before. And specifically, it's affecting women who might be making this really difficult decision sort of later in pregnancy, also are frankly not necessarily from the demographic of women who usually get abortions, which is to say that the majority of women who get abortions tend to be lower income, tend to be women of color. There's a very good chance that more women who are white and who are upper middle class and who have more political power and who are able to sort of draw more attention to this issue in a way that's been really hard for pro-choice activists when a specific subset of people are the ones who tend to be affected rather than a broader slice of women overall. And so while it's certainly true that there isn't a resounding consensus that there should be a right to abortion for genetic abnormalities either, I do think that that adds an additional wrinkle in addition to the fact that a lot more women are going to be affected by this generally. Yeah, I'm curious, Sarah and Alex, do you have thoughts on this either nationally or specifically in Texas? On one hand, it seems like abortion has been a constant polarizer and that while there are like nuanced views, the two parties have staked out pretty clear positions that haven't changed much. And it seems like we're like a lot of things stuck in a partisan polarized world where it doesn't actually change so much electorally. Do you think that this is different? So I think Amelia's right in the sense that understanding whether Americans view this as another restriction on abortion or actually challenging abortion is an open question. And I do wonder to the extent Texas is a red state, yes, but it has affluent populated blue cities that are not going to like what has happened here. And I do wonder to the extent that there was already a little confusion in Mississippi around the 15-week mark and, oh, that actually falls in the second trimester. This is clearly and squarely in the first trimester. My perception of that based on Americans maintaining that they don't want Roe versus Wade to be repealed, poll after poll after poll, would be, particularly given the media coverage around this, that this is a direct challenge to it, one of the most strict restrictions now in the nation. And it's hard to see how Americans don't view it as a challenge to Roe v. Wade. One thing I found surprising is that the University of Texas and Texas Tribune asked Texas voters specifically whether they support a ban on abortion after six weeks. And this was back in 2019, and just under half of Texas voters, so 48%, said they do support making abortion illegal after six weeks of pregnancy. Of course, in 2019, that was a point where I think it was like half a dozen states were taking up bills dealing with either early abortion bans or these, quote, heartbeat bills. So I don't know if that had an effect on the numbers that we saw. But in that same 2019 poll, 42% of Texas's voters said that they oppose such a law. Of course, Republicans were more likely to favor these bills. So per that poll, 68% of Republicans said they favored a ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. And 27% of Democrats, which is not a small number for Democrats, said they supported these bills as well. Though abortion historically is just hard to pull on because I don't think people understand here's what is established under Roe, here's what's established under Planned Parenthood v. Casey. 
And here's how all these other bills will fit into that. And I think some polling questions miss that nuance. And so it's harder for people to answer the question probably in the best way that they could. The other thing that stood out to me was you had said that 27% of Democrats in one of those polls supported restrictions in the state. And it's just something I think we lose sight of. This is a partisan issue, but it's also a deeply personal one, religious one. And I think it's one in which Americans have complicated views in which they don't always express necessarily in polls on this issue. And to Amelia's point, aren't necessarily thinking about 16 weeks versus 15 weeks versus what's under row and what's established. Right. I mean, it's one of, we encounter this, I think, frequently on this podcast, where in general, the parties offer two very opposite positions on this issue, whereas a lot of Americans have somewhat muddled views that lie somewhere in the middle and aren't necessarily represented by either party. Given where we stand now, kind of wrapping up here, where do we expect things to go from here? What's the strategy of pro-life activists and pro-choice activists moving forward? Well, I'm just really curious to see how the fall Supreme Court term plays out now. This is something that's going to be in the news. It's something that will be playing out a few months before the Supreme Court considers this case it already had on the docket that was also going to get a lot of attention. And does this make it easier or harder for the Supreme Court to use this case involving the Mississippi law to weaken Roe or overrule Roe. There's a lot of discussion always, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, about the extent to which Supreme Court justices are thinking about those considerations. I think Chief Justice John Roberts in particular appears to undoubtedly be thinking about those considerations. He's not the one in the driver's seat, though, anymore, as this order made really clear he was in the minority. So I'll just be really interested to see Does the Supreme Court conservative majority kind of, how extreme do they go, especially considering that people were going to be watching them before, but now people are really going to be watching to see how they handle that Mississippi case. And then, yeah, we got to keep watching what happens in Texas, too. You know, this current law that's being challenged is still pending in the lower federal courts. And I'm curious, right now, the legal strategy among those in favor of abortion rights appears to be complying with the law. But if this case is thrown out, presumably we will see a test case in which one of these lawsuits is brought to the courts. And then how do they choose to handle the law when there is an actual instance of this happening in Texas? Yeah, and I also think we're going to see more abortion providers here in Texas trying to help people get resources, whether that be in other states or just elsewhere, since it can't be done here. Of course, traveling out of state to get an abortion isn't something that every person has the time or resources to do. So I'll be interested to see how much money these groups raise and kind of how that plays out and how this affects the people in the state who are trying to get an abortion. Well, and if that leads to lawsuits too, and I mean, I'd say the final question as we're wrapping up is what do other states do? What do red states do? What do blue states do? You know, I think this is on both sides, a significant escalation of a conflict that was already very, very polarizing with people who have extremely strong feelings on both sides. All right. Well, we will keep watching. But for now, thank you, Amelia, Alex, and Sarah. Thanks, Galen. Thank you. Thanks, Galen. 
My name is Galen Druk. Claire Bidigari Curtis is on audio editing and in the control room along with our intern, Emma Riley. Bendon Stevens is on video editing. You can get in touch by emailing us at podcasts at 538.com. You can also, of course, tweet at us with any questions or comments. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating or a review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell someone about us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.